I mean, it was very basic. It was about trying to do the right thing and, and you know, empathizing with people who were being discriminated against. I was sitting at my desk and it was like a huge, it was like somebody just stuck a pin in a balloon. All the energy just left my body and I was like. <sighs> and I'll tell you right now, as I stand here, I am afraid. I am very afraid. Earlier this month, our state's governor, surrounded by legislators and advocates, celebrated Pride Month, recognizing the long struggle the LGBTQ community has faced to secure civil rights and equal protections. But just 10 years ago in Delaware, not only was it a huge political risk for the governor to support LGBTQ rights, but it was legal to discriminate against someone because they were gay. A landlord could refuse to rent to you. You could be denied insurance and you could show up to work to learn you were fired simply because of who you love. That was the reality. The LGBTQ community didn't secure protections in Delaware law until 2009, when the Delaware General Assembly passed landmark legislation prohibiting discrimination against people because of their sexual orientation. Within four years of that very first bill passing, change came rapidly. The state quickly passed civil unions, marriage equality, and protections for gender identity and may have seemed to happen overnight to those outside of Legislative Hall. But getting to that point was a long struggle of overcoming bigotry, hatred, and intolerance. It was a process that lasted more than a decade and involved several key players whose relentless pursuit of equality led to the June 2009 passage of that first anti-discrimination bill. Their struggle was long and sometimes disheartening, but it is a reminder of how only recently homophobia became uncontroversial and how quickly a group of dedicated people could change our culture. The best way to learn about this moment in time is to hear from the people who lived it. From the Delaware House Democratic Caucus, this is Whip Count. I'm Pete Schwarzkopf, 14th District Representative. Got elected in 2002, uh, a few years after the uh, equal rights movement got started by my friend over here and my other friend over there. And uh, it was interesting because I was a very new legislator in uh, 2002 or three. Um, and now, 10, year, or 10 years later, I'm Speaker of the House. Mm -hmm. uh, Bill Oberly, former state representative from the 24th District in Newark, uh, served for 34 years, first elected in 1976, and chose to retire in 2010. So I'm Drew Fennell, and when I first got involved with this issue with Bill Oberly, I was a lawyer in private practice in the city of Wilmington. Uh, and not long after that, I think in part because of the work I was doing with you, I went to the ACLU. Uh, I've been doing some civil rights work. I went to the ACLU and became the executive director there for about almost 10 years. Uh, and then uh, went and worked for Governor Markell. Uh, I got to do some great work there, which was also a ton of fun. And uh, now work, uh, and now I'm in the private sector again, working for Christiana Care Hospital. It, it seems like yesterday, yet it, it seems like uh, an eternity for me. I mean, in terms of, of, of how I perceive it, um, even the 34 years I spent here, it was over half my life in, in, that I spent in the General Assembly at the time. And um, a lot of it's a blur, to be honest with you. And Drew, you and I had talked about that, Drew Volterra. Um, you know, dates, specific uh, bill numbers, things like that have all kind of gone. Yeah, yeah they've they, all kind of gone into the ether for me. But uh, I, I, I do remember the, the struggle um, to deal with uh, trying to uh, ensure that people's rights were not being violated, and, uh, you know, in, in general terms. I, I, I can tell you, it, it's, you know, when you said you wanted to do this and that we, I would be with these two guys over here, you know, I, I was like, oh, this is going to be fun. It's yeah. going to be a lot of fun. And I thought I, my, my memories might not be very, very good here because it has been a long time. And, uh, um, you know, like you talked about bill numbers, the bill number changed three or four times. And <clears throat> but I remember House Bill 99. Oh, I remember yeah, that. The, and I think people still called it that. Like, oh, that when, I do. And, I do. You know, I even it. when it passed, people still called it House Bill yeah. 99. And in fact, we I remember when we were doing some communications around it and we would have to say Senate Bill 121 paren House Bill 99 yeah. so that people in the well, public everybody, knew because we really and we had done, I think partly we had done a really good job of telling people what it was and how to respond and how to call their legislator. And, you know, that was, um, 
that was a time when sort of that kind of community level organizing was being done in some newer ways than we had done before. I mean, I look back 21 years ago and um, coming in here um, as a as sort of as a lobbyist, as a, first as sort of a citizen, but then as a as a professional lobbyist and being one of the few people in the building who was here representing a cause mm-hmm. as a as a lo- as a professional lobbyist. And now Everybody and there are a lot of people, but there are a lot of people who have sort of learned how to do that. But really, there were times when I think I was just not the only one, but darn close to it. Yeah, I mean, uh, there weren't many advocates at the time, that's for sure. And uh, it was, I mean, even looking back, I mean, two decades, I mean, we've come light light years. I mean, Mm -hmm. it was uh, it was a struggle even to get people to focus on the issue, let alone admit there was a problem. Absolutely. And, um, you know, that was the most difficult part for me, to trying to articulate uh, the level of the problem, the degree of the problem, and the need to um, to resolve that problem. But uh, it was frustrating, I'll admit that. Well, I, you guys got into it early. I, got, I came into it about three or four years into and, the struggle. And I'm glad you did. God I, bless I, you. I mentioned to you, I, I mean, Drew and I, Volterra, were, were sharing this. I remember exactly the place and the time oh, when I, I stood on the steps with you I do too. leading up to the governor's so, office. So let me tell that story real yeah, quick. Yeah, go ahead. Well, first off, when, when I ran in 2002, I knew nothing about politics. I knew nothing about Lake Hall. I, I, don't, think, I don't think I'd ever even been in this building at, at the that point. Uh, I ran because I was upset with how uh, redistricting was done. And um, and I decided that, you know, my mother always told me that you can't, you, you don't have the right to complain about anything if you're not willing to jump in and try to change it. So um, I did. I ran. Uh, House Bill 99, equal rights, became the wedge issue in my campaign. I didn't even know what a wedge issue was at the time. And obviously the wedge issue is to divide the, you know, the two candidates. And, uh, and I can remember... I mean, I always knew how I felt. I always knew, my mother always taught me to treat people evenly, equally, no matter what color they were, no matter where they came from, just, and basically she told me, she said, you treat people right until they show you that they're not right. And then you can treat them a little bit differently. But the bottom line was, I always knew where I stood, but as a, as a trooper and state police, I never verbalized that to anybody. I knew how I felt about people. I knew all those things that, like I said, my mother taught me that, and, and, uh, and she was 100% right. So coming into that campaign, the first time it poked its head up about House Bill 99, I was like, what is House Bill 99? I had no clue. And I didn't know there was a struggle going on at that point in time. Uh, I was in my own little bubble, my own little world, and, and that's what happened with that election. It made me get out of my own little comfort zone and start to address some of the issues that really I had no clue about. But I knew it. It was a radio broadcast. Uh, my, my opponent and I were there, and the uh, announcer uh, said, well, House Bill 99, and I was like, uh-oh, here it comes. And he grabbed the microphone, shoved it in my face, and he says, uh, rumor has it that you're in favor of House Bill 99. He said, why is that? I said, well, the real question is that we should be treating people fairly all along, but the real question is, why aren't you in favor? And I shoved it right back in his face. And I that, love that defined the moment for me coming into the election with House Bill 99, and I was... I had uh, Faye Jacobs. I don't know whether you know yeah, Faye. Know Faye, Faye Jacobs was on my my uh, committee, and she, she. I went and I spoke to a, 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 a about twenty five members of the gay community, and and I went in and we talked about things and and uh, equal rights and everything like that, and talked about other issues. And uh, I got done, and I said, "Hey, Faye, how'd I do?" And I thought I had done real well. And she goes, "Nah," <laughs> and I said, "What do you mean, nah?" And she said. It's not okay to just support equal rights. You have to fight for them. And that's when I got elected and then I got hooked up with you. Uh, and I, I remember very early in January, walking down the hallway up in front of the governor's office and I met you coming the other direction and headed towards the stairs. And I had just looked at Sarah and saw these people standing at the bottom. I'm like, what's going on here? And I didn't have a clue. And I met you in the hallway and and I said, what's going on down there? And he said, come on, I'm about to make you famous or infamous, one or the other. Yeah, that's exactly and I right. walked down on the steps, and I said, what is going on? And then he started, you walked right up and grabbed the microphone and started this press conference that you were having about House Bill 99. Right. And he turned around and said, and I'd like to introduce my friend, Pete, Pete Schwarzkopf, newly elected from the 14th District. 
say something. Yeah, and I was like, yeah, oh my gosh. And I have to tell you, that wasn't a knee-jerk thing on my part or, uh, you know, off the cuff. Thing. No, I mean, when you first got elected, I mean, uh, you, you tend to size the newbies mm -hmm. up. And I knew you were something special. Oh. No, I mean that yeah. sincerely, and I knew you were capable of carrying the ball. I mean, I wasn't going to be here forever, and this has been a long struggle. And as it turned out, you and Dave Sakola finished the job. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, uh, I was not here for the end, but fortunately it got done, and that's all yeah. that counts. And, you know, so it wasn't as if I just generally picked you out of a crowd. I mean, you know, obviously I, I consider you a close friend, but there there are certain people that you can identify early on in their legislative careers as whether they're sincere and whether they're going to they're going to carry the fight along. Yeah, and, and, and you were one I of those see people. It every day now yeah, with yeah. my new people coming in, I can tell which ones are going to be do very well. And you and that level of sort of uh, courage and self possession, mm -hmm. you know, I you know, I'm thinking back back to the early to the earlier days, even before you got here, sort of the amount of heat around this issue yeah. that we all experienced was really remarkable. I mean, Drew was yeah. brutalized on the Senate floor. Um, oh, yeah. and, uh, and and we had talked a little bit about this this morning. I, I would not tolerate that on the House side. Mm -hmm. I mean, I would not tolerate someone being abused uh, because they, they held certain beliefs or, or uh, were dedicated to a particular issue. And uh, so that was one of the unfortunate circumstances. I mean, we both were called out by the Westboro Baptist Church. I mark mean, of honor. Yeah, yeah, it was a mark of honor. I mean, I had, um, you know, there were Well, there were let's go back and look at the atmosphere back then yeah. in, in 2000, say, or two, 1999 or 2000 or 2001. Uh, you know, the House, you were running, running it in the House. You were talking about it in the House all along, mm -hmm. struggling to find the votes, have the votes, and the Senate completely shuts down. Yeah. You know, I mean, we, we had a, a pro tem over there that was putting things in his drawer and not letting him see the light of day and was proud of it. And that was the atmosphere we faced back then. Right. You know, we were struggling, could get the votes to pass it in the House, mm -hmm. and knowing full well it was going over and going right into the drawer not to be seen or heard You know, again. when I live by the credo, sometimes you have to be tenacious to the point of mm -hmm. being obnoxious. You just cannot give oh, up. Oh, you, you have that down well. No, I, I, <laughs> I did. I mean, I'll admit on certain certain issues, I, I was beyond the pale. But, you know, it's all about what you believe in and, and, and what you're trying to get accomplished. And, uh, you know, even though it was a futile attempt, knowing it was going to die in the Senate, mm -hmm. you had to keep the pressure well, and on. that's what you have to do. You have to bring attention to it and, and make the public aware of what's going on so that they can weigh in on the on the issue. Yeah. I, I will say this, uh, and, I, and I have a story. I don't know that you've ever heard this, and I don't know whether you've ever heard it, to tell you the truth, um, involving Thurman Adams. And Thurman was a pro tem that would not let the bill go forward. I had several conversations with him, some funny, some not so funny, uh, about equal rights. I had one conversation um, when we talked about hospital visits where gay couples weren't allowed in some cases, weren't allowed to visit their spouses. They lay dying in, in a bed because um, they didn't have that right. And I very gently equated that when Thurman's wife died. Mm -hmm. I said, how would you feel if you got met at the door and said you're not allowed in to see right. your wife? Right. And he had he had a tear. He goes, buddy boy. And he used to always call me buddy boy. And he said, buddy boy, I get where you're going. It's just a hard way to go. Yeah. And so I knew in his heart where he was. Yeah. Now, here's the part I don't know that you ever knew. In 2009, when I made, when we took over the House and I made majority leader, I was at uh, lunch one day at the governor's office, or at the governor's house, Woodburn. We got ready to leave, and Thurm said, buddy boy, come sit with me. So I sat down next to him, and he goes, I think it's time. I went, time for what? I, he, you never knew where Thurman was going. He said, I think it's time. And I said, for what, Thurman? He said, your bill. And I thought, either he's retiring or something, you know, he was ill or something. And I remember thinking that right away and come to find out he was. And uh, he said, I want to give your bill a hearing, but I'm going to put it in a, bill, in a committee that I know it'll get out. Do you know this? Did you ever hear this? No, I never have. No. I, I heard it from some, not from you, and, and I'm glad to. But he, he told me, he said, I'm going to put it in Patty's, Patty Blevins. Uh, she was not pro tem at the time. Um, said, I'm, I'm going to put it in a committee that I know it'll get out. I'm going to put it in Senator Blenner's, Levin's, uh, Patty's committee. Mm -hmm. He said, I know it'll get out. You deserve to have a, 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 a hearing on the floor. And then he turned and I said, but I got to give, I got to give Tony some cover because he's been holding it for me. Mm -hmm. 
And then he ended up going in the hospital like two days later. And, and it went into committee, got out, and the day, I think he died the day before it was scheduled to be on the floor, somewhere really close. Really close. Uh, in fact, the, it was one of the first bills that Patty ran as the mm-hmm. protest. Yeah. The same day in the House, we ran a bill to restore second parent adoption. Right. Remember that had been done by stat, yeah. it had been done by a court opinion, yeah. got overruled, and we had to do a statute. Yeah. And... I don't know how it happened, but they got they got scheduled for the same time, and Patty was the Senate sponsor of that bill. And had gotten over the house, and so she was there with me, and she knew, you know, I'm a parent who adopted a child under the old rule, and she knew how meaningful it was to me. So she's sitting there with me, and I'm anxious because I know there's they've got to run Senate Bill 121 on the other side of the building, and she leans over to me and she goes, you know. They can't start without me. <laughs> we'll wait. We can wait until the vote is taken over here in case they need you, which was a really kind thing for her to do because she knew it was really. I really felt like I needed to see that bill pass and be there if they needed me to say. Which thank goodness they didn't need me to say anything. Uh, and then we got up and we walked over to the other side. But it was really moving to me that both of those bills were taking place at the same time. So much about. You know, how we form families, how we care for each other, how we maintain our livelihoods. You know, and that and House Bill 99 covered so many things. It covered not just employment, but also housing and insurance and, you know, disability, all kinds of things that were so important, you know, to people's lives. Right. These are the things that make your life good. But it, was, it was amazing. Uh, it was an amazing it, it, it day. Was, it was interesting how it ended up in the, at the very end. The person that was holding the bill up for so many years was the one that actually decided to let it go. And, you know, and I think in the end, you know, Thurman represented a very, very, very conservative area of Sussex County. And I think, you know, and maybe in the beginning he was representing his view as well, but he was representing his district. Um, but I think at the very end, you know, when you're faced with mortality, I think sometimes you have a little retrospective view of yourself and what you've done and how, you, how you've made it, uh, how you can make it better before you go. And, and I think Thurman, that was Thurman's way of trying to set the table straight. Yeah, but uh, I mean, it was very basic. It was about trying to do the right thing and, and you know, empathizing with people who were being discriminated against and, and, and trying to, to resolve that issue. I mean, it was nothing more, nothing less. But one of the things I hope that I'm remembered for is providing a forum for for those people who sometimes don't have a voice in government, for protecting the men and women, working men and women in this state who have not had a voice, and for trying to do the right and fair and just thing. I believe House Bill 11, just by its simple nature, is the right thing to do. You know, and also, I, I will tell you, there was a seminal moment for me, and it actually came about early on in the debate. There was this understanding among some in the House that one chooses their own sexuality. And I sat down and really thought hard about that. And I was, you know, I went back through through uh, puberty and I said, yeah, at what point did I choose that I was going to like women? I guess where you and I philosophically or practically disagree, and I'll ask you to, to take sort of a mental test, and every member in this chamber to say, take the same mental test sitting at your desk uh, when I ask this question. Did you, sir, at a certain age, or did anyone in this chamber at a certain age make a cognitive choice to either like girls or like boys? And I ask that question because I think it goes to the heart of some of the objection um, that, that's been raised, that this is a chosen lifestyle. I firmly believe it is not a chosen lifestyle. I believe that that people are born into this lifestyle and have no choice over that. It wasn't a choice for me, and it's not a choice for anyone else. I mean, it is what it is. And to, to believe, I mean, I heard things like, well, male homosexuals are the result of a weak father figure. Uh, you know, I don't know what, how, uh, on the female side, maybe it's a weak mother, but I heard stupid things like that. When if you step back and you just think about it, I mean, when did you all decide, you know, what your sexuality was going to be? It's not a choice. 
And if it's not a choice, then people shouldn't be discriminated against because because of the outcome. That that was it was that simple and basic for me. I'll have to say, you know, we are very unusual in Delaware in that we allow um, citizens to come to the floor to test. I think we're the only one of the we're only one of two or three. I think that allow. Um, citizens I- into the floor, mm-hmm. and the only one that allows citizens to yeah. address the and legislature. I that way. I mean, and I and actually, for for me as a citizen, uh, the 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 ability to do that was really remarkably empowering. Mm-hmm. To be called, you know, to be called up to that lectern, mm-hmm. as bad as it was sometimes, and as mm-hmm. difficult as some of those conversations were, I really think it helped put a face on it. There was no out member of the legislature at that time. And so there was nobody there that was going to speak in our voice except for us. And so our ability to to do that, to stand up and to say what we wanted and needed was really remarkable. I I guess it was a remarkable privilege to be able to be able to do that. It was scary as heck, I'm not gonna lie. It was really scary to stand up there, but it was amazing. I came out on the floor. Yep. I also have a private interest in this legislation. I'm an attorney. I'm an ordained elder in the Episcopal Church, in the, excuse me, in the Presbyterian Church. I gotta remember which church I go to. <laughs> President of the Board of Trustees of my congregation. I'm a mother of four. And I'm a lesbian in a committed relationship. You know, I've been enormously fortunate in my life. I have the support of my family and my faith community of my employers. All of them have been nothing less than loving and supportive to me. I can't really tell you any horror stories today. I'm isolated by a lucky circumstance for most of the worst treatment. And I'll tell you right now, as I stand here, I am afraid. I am very afraid. I am afraid every time, every time I tell anyone who I am. I'm wor- I worry that this is the time, this is the time I'm going to disclose my sexual orientation to the wrong person. That this is the person that's going to hurt me or humiliate me or even physically harm me. Or worse of all, that this is the person who is going to frighten or humiliate one of my children because of who I am. You know, I've heard in the halls around here that there's no need for this legislation, that there's an atmosphere of tolerance out there. It isn't. It isn't out there. We need this bill in order to protect gays, lesbians, bisexuals, and their families from the kind of treatment that we could be subjected to in the workplace and elsewhere in the community. I thank you for your time, and I ask you for your support, House Bill 99. And it, it had to be liberating. It was wonderful. Yeah, I, you yeah. know, and I was very fortunate. I remember what I said. You know, I've been. I sort of gave my spiel as a lawyer, and I said, mm-hmm. "And now I'm going to get personal." And one of the things I was so aware of, and one of the reasons why I wanted to fight so hard with you, mm-hmm. was that I was so lucky. My family supported me. My employer, Young Conaway, was amazing yeah. and supportive. And but not a lot of people didn't have that. And my kids were going to suffer for people's opinion of me, and that really, really bothered me. Yeah, and I, but I, coming out that day yeah. was liberating, and, you know, and, and it yeah. changed a vote. That yeah, was the yeah, best yeah, part. Yeah. It, 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 <laughs> it did. changed a vote. And, and, and I have to say this, you know, and Pete realizes this, and Drew, you realize this. None of us could have put up with all this aggravation and done what we, what we did without the support of our, our, our spouse. And, and our allies are so important, our kids. Our, yeah. but, you know, but at the same time, you know, we would come home from those hearings, and you and I, we've all talked about this, right? You'd come home sometimes and just stand in the shower because it, so, it was so ugly. Right? I That's remember so, listening I to never the debate. Could, I could never let my kids come. I remember listening to the debate over in the Senate, and it was ugly. First of all, I want you to know that this bill is a blatant homosexual and lesbian uh, attempt to put their uh, agenda in our state. I stand opposed to it because it is against the word of God. The word of God opposes male and male and female and female uh, cohabitation. Look, 
I have no problem with what you do in the bedroom. I have no problem holding hands or anything else. But I do not want it taught in our schools that this is a normal lifestyle. Because I'm convinced, after living the years that I've lived, that lesbians and the female side can be made. I don't think that they're born that way. I'm not so sure about the other side. Some of the things that were said, my daughter, my, my oldest daughter, Brandy, she was here for that debate. She heard that debate and she changed the topic of her dissertation oh. to how kids with two moms, kids with two dads, and how they're affected going through school and, and, and all the things that affect them differently than what it would at somebody else. And I was real proud of her when she decided to do that. She, she was like, I can't believe these people talk, let alone think like this, they talk like this, you know? Well, my kids used to get so mad because, of course, we'd be prepping. You know, we, were, we did our homework. We worked really hard. And, and afterwards, we'd come back and sort of tell the stories, but I would not let them come. Because, you know, think about that hearing wow. in the Senate. Would you have wanted to watch people speak to your but, mother but that not, way? Not, right? Like, it yeah. was, like, I would, couldn't let my children, I don't think I could have performed, I could not have stood there and taken that if I'd known my children were watching from the gallery. Well, not only that, you're in a predicament because your, your kids are going to come and they're not going to stay quiet. They're well, that's right. Your, your kids, that's right. And, you know, and it's... It, you'd be proud of them for standing up for you, but then you go, oh, you might have just screwed up something, you know, with the vote. So, uh, and in this building, as we all know, votes can disappear with a slip of one tongue. I mean, one word. I've always said it's not what you say on the floor, it's what you don't say yeah, on the exactly floor right. that makes a difference. <laughs> I mean, that's the well, critical part. I tell part. my caucus all the time, <laughs> if you have the votes, you don't need to talk. Yeah, no. Get out and explain it really fast, answer any question, get a roll call. call the roll. Because yeah. the more talking you do, the more chance you have of losing the votes you have. So it's funny, I gave a talk a few weeks ago for the Delaware Business Time called 90 Ideas in 90 Minutes. Each person gave 10 ideas. One of mine was know when to call for the vote. Yeah. Like when you have the votes, Roll call. Don't wait. You know, too many things have gone right down the drain when people keep talking. Uh, <laughs> and it's, it's one of the hardest things to teach a new new representative. Oh, I know. I, you know, I, I finally had to go to one person and said, "This is not Mr. Smith goes to Washington. It's not that. You know, the, the, the debate is taken in the committee hearings, uh, within caucus and stuff like that. And be prepared <coughs> to answer any questions out there. But if if you know, the more you talk, the more questions you generate." The one message that I had transcribed from my answering machine, and I will tell you, this is one of the more moderate calls I've got. So for anyone in this room who doubts that there is a mentality in this state that must be dealt with, I'd ask you to listen very carefully before we go to a roll call. Joe, if you would uh, would do that for me. Mr. Speaker, Mr. Speaker if I could, and I'd like to, I guess, Ask the representative. Uh, I have an idea what's on this tape. Uh, you know, I'm not sure. You're dealing, sir, with employment. I think the tape is an individual who's calling and expressing an opinion on this bill that uh, is unsavory, uh, certainly not in, in keeping with uh, with good taste. And I think any of us would abhor. But I, as I understand it, it's not an employer expressing a situation or a concern with a particular employee. Uh, I guess my concern is that this is inflammatory and somewhat unrelated to uh, the bill at hand. Mr. Speaker, if I might respond. Actually, yes, the comments are directed to me. Now, this individual might be an employee, an employer. Uh, he might run uh, um, a, uh, a motel, a hotel, or a restaurant. I have no idea, but the comments were directed to me about the issue that I chose to involve myself in, and I think they are reflective of a sentiment that is in our society today within this state and demonstrate a need for legislation of this sort. So I would again respectfully disagree with my majority leader. No, I mean, I, I remember the exchange now, um, and I think it was unfortunate because uh, I, I think it, it did reveal an ugly side of our society that people needed to deal with. A lot of people just wanted to put blinders on and not accept that these ugly, uh, horrific, comments were being made. I mean, they did, they had difficulty wrapping their minds around it. I think Wayne did a disservice to the process when he would not allow that, that tape to be played. Because I think people need to go into these things with their eyes wide open. And, you know, one of the things I think, you know, we saw during that process was that, you know, people, they did, you know, the opponents of this bill, they, they came and they were sometimes really awful. I mean, I cannot count the number of times someone had to escort me to my car. 
I had someone spit on the ground in front of me while I was walking by. Of course, as we all know, discrimination takes place in all facets of human relationships, including in Delaware, on the basis of obesity, height, eye color, baldness, accent, dentition, and the list could go on. Just as the government should not interfere in the lives of its citizens to make any of their categories, these categories, a protected class, House Bill 99 is bad for Delaware. I am... You know, it, it, it was very ugly, and, and, but I do think that sometimes that behavior got us votes, right? That the behavior got us votes because people went, oh my gosh, this really does happen. I had a gentleman follow me around for nearly a year, every place I went in Legislative Hall wearing overalls without a shirt on, um, and he would repeat. GOP, gay old party, GOP, gay old party. And this guy followed me for a year through Legislative Hall. He'd wait outside my office, and wherever I was going, he was right behind me. Now, I don't know what purpose he thought or what his intent was. It didn't bother me if he wanted to make a fool of himself. That was his business. But, uh, you know, it, it was just more irritating than anything else to me, some of the antics that took place. Although I will say the Westboro Baptist Church <laughs> did, they, they, they did <laughs> torque me up a little bit, but you know. <laughs> I remember uh, uh, Timmy Bolton mm -hmm. when he was here, mm -hmm. and um, he decided he was going to vote for it. Mm -hmm. And um, someone I won't name uh, wanted to speak to him about him because he found out he was going to change the vote. The aide said, no, he's eating his lunch. He'll see you as soon as he's done his lunch. Well, the, this guy just barged right into his office. He said, I understand you're going to vote for that gay bill. And he goes, uh, well, I'm eating lunch. And he said, yes, I am, but I'll talk to you after I get done eating lunch. He said, I hope you choke to death on that sandwich oh, yeah. and turn around and walk I remember out. that. Those yeah. conversations. Um, I couldn't let my I, we we couldn't let our kids answer the telephone at our house. No, nah, that's so sad. But you know what? And, and and I believed it then, and I still believe it. And the response I got in my district, I got a greater response of people irritated with me over the mandatory seatbelt law. I mean, I may have received one or two. I had one or two diehards that were opposed to this bill, but generally, I didn't hear. Anything uh, in my home district, which I think speaks well for the people that I represented. I mean, they were blue-collar, hard-working people who no doubt had their own life experiences. And, you know, at, at worst they were ambivalent, but I, I think generally they were supportive of, of this initiative. And, you know, I, I was very proud to represent my district for all those years, and I was proud of the people well, and I, the way I they think, responded. I, I think it also has a lot to do with who you are. Number one, if you can explain the issue, uh, people are afraid. When, they, when something comes up, the first thing is, oh, I don't want that, I don't want that. But when you go and explain what, what it is, what it does, and everything like this, and what it doesn't do, so you did a good job of, of probably <coughs> explaining the issue to your, your constituents, and they were in line. They, they fell in line with you. Uh, I've, I represent an area that is uh, um, very supportive. Of, of that bill yeah. at the time, uh, not as much then as it is, as it is now, right. obviously. Well, think how far we've come. We have. I mean, it's amazing when you think where we started to where we are today. Yeah. I mean, you know, it it was it was an evolutionary process, but it's resulted in a revolution, yes. if you will, yeah. and in terms of you know civil rights and uh -oh. and, and recognition of people. Uh, not based on any particular quality or inclination. And, and, and when you put it all in context, I mean, this was simply, from my perspective, doing the right thing. That's all. And what remarkable examples uh, were provided for, for us to follow, not only for LGBT people, but people with disabilities, older Americans, like all kinds of ways in which I think we all learned uh, from the civil rights movement, yeah. how to change, heart, not just change the law, but really work to change hearts and minds and, and build a new, sort of build a new community that, that encompasses a larger purpose. And we're talking a lot about what happened inside this building, too. But I think there's also, there was this larger group of allies and uh, LGBT people themselves well, who came together and really did some and, remarkable things, educating people in the larger community <laughs> to change 
public opinion around and, and this And you can't issue. discount organized labor in this either. Organized, organized labor, Organized labor absolutely. has always been at the forefront of, of civil change in this country. And they were stalwart supporters. And I had a close relationship with organized labor. And, you know, they they stepped up. And, you know, Organized they, labor, clergy. We had clergy. tremendous numbers of, cl of churches. I mean, people think of churches as Father having been Ka on the other Father side. Father Casson is an example. Father, Lloyd Casson was amazing. Father Casson married my wife and I. And, uh, and, and Father Casson stepped up. And he I testified several times on the floor. And so... You know, it's it's it was just a, a a grouping of people who just wanted to do the right thing. Well, I, you know, you talk about the education. People are afraid of what they don't know. Yeah, it's that simple. And if you take the time to explain it, now I used to go on a radio station and get hammered from the callers well, we, that call in. Well, it's a very but, liberal radio station, right? <laughs> no, yeah, no, it's not. But I, I, I would get hammered, but, and, and after we hired Drew, when I took over, he goes, why do you go on that station? And I was like, because I'm reaching, trying to reach past the callers, because there's a lot of people sitting out there listening that don't call in. Sometimes the host. Yeah, and so and when you guys started the, the, the battle, you were alone. You really had no support. You had no allies. You started it with nothing. And with every year, it gained. Correct. And, you know, when I came in in 2002, well, I didn't know about it. Uh, and, but it just, after year after year, it just kept building with people, more people understanding what it did and what it didn't do, and that it wasn't going to ruin their marriage, which is one of the things they used to always say. And I'm like, dude, if, if two guys want to get married or want to be together and have equal rights, how is that affecting your marriage? If, if it is, you don't have a very good marriage. But... Uh, but those are the things you have to get on the radio and talk about. And and I you know I, I used to take a beating on that radio from it. But eventually, it got to the point where when I went on and, and talked sometimes to settle the issue down, the lights on the, the beeping would just all of a sudden go off on the radio. The well, and, to, calls. and I think, too, one of the things about this that was really a life lesson for me, too, was that if we were going to win people were going to have to actually change their votes. Like people who voted no last time were going to have to vote yes the next time. And that if we fixed them in place by by demeaning them or turning them into enemies, we were never going to win. And that, you know, this idea that, that, you know, if what you're doing is really about being fair and right and good, then you have to be really willing to let the person who disagrees with you become your ally. And I'll tell you, that's hard. That's really hard. It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's really easy to want to stay locked in that, in that opposition. And, you know, watching you, Bill, sort of turn people around. I, I hope I did that as, oh, as yeah, well. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like I say, it was a group effort. It wasn't and, just me. But trying to figure out sort of how do you get somebody from no to yes around something that is, for a lot of people, so emotional um, and does, in fact, carry with it a lot of sort of judgmentalism. And something else that, that people have to understand is when you're running for election, and like I was, I was, like I said, a newbie. I knew nothing about politics. I just knew where I stood on some things. And a lot of these people get locked in during the election mm -hmm. to a no vote because they, they, at the time they're scared to death and they don't know what to do. And they're like, well, I'm not going to win if I say yes or whatever. So you have to respect that two-year term, too. And, and when they're locked in and say, no, I won't vote for this, that only that expires after a two-year term. When you run the second time, you can start to say, hey, wait a minute, I may, you know, may have morphed my decision here uh, to, to, to more of a yes. I was fortunate because I knew where I stood. And I was, I'm, not a, I'm a no-nonsense guy when I know where I am. If you ask me where I am, I'm going to tell you. And when I went out on the radio like that, I mean, I just drew the line. And it was me on this side and him on this side. And, uh, and I ended up winning, so it was easy for me to continue the fight. And to, to, I didn't have to go back to my district and try to explain why I flipped my vote. Well, and Some it, people do. Uh, there, were, there were also people who helped that didn't vote for the bill, and I'll give you one example. 100%. Vince Loafing. His district, I mean, he, he had a high concentration of fundamentalist Christians in his district. It would have been a death blow for him to have supported the bill. But Vinny always said, I will get the bill out of committee for you. He was committee chair mm -hmm. at the time. So there were people helping behind the scenes for the right reasons 
that couldn't cast a vote for the political reasons. And, and I'm not, uh, and I don't mean that in a negative sense. I understood that. But the fact that he was willing to step up and, and support releasing the bill from committee was a big deal at the time. And I also want to mention Governor Minner. That was a seminal moment, too. That was a when truly seminal moment. When Governor Minner Very risky. Very yeah, risky. At the time, it was very risky. But she came out, and she stood her ground, and she supported the bill. And, and she, she stood on those steps just like you did. Yeah, that was, she did. I mean, and that whole standing the steps, on the steps yeah. thing became a little bit of a thing we did, right? Yeah. That was a sort of associated exactly. with, our, with our work, do, right? Do we do this every day up here? I, yeah. I didn't know. <laughs> we ne no, we never... I don't think anybody had ever really done that no, before. I mean, uh, and we we, we did know, it. It was when, fun. When Governor Minner did that... That it it it, it kind of tipped the scales. I mean, it gave um, new energy to 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 the cause, and I always appreciate what she did in in, in, in by doing that. I mean, it, it was it was not an easy. Well, you thing know for how her we the picked time. the steps. Do you remember? <coughs> no, I don't. It wasn't in either chamber, and it wasn't in the governor's office, because nobody sort of like it couldn't be on anybody's mm -hmm. turf. Mm -hmm. And so we were trying to figure out where we could do it, and we couldn't go outside. So we just said, "Let's do it on the landing." And that remember, and we yeah. ended up doing it on the landing, yep. um, in part because like there just wasn't any other logical place to to gather, and, and we had a lot, and we had a lot of people there, right? So yeah. so figuring out sort of how to get all those yeah how to how to get all those people in one place, well, it right? Scared, it scared me because when he turned around, super said, effective. Say a few though. words, I'm like, oh, I'm yeah, gonna yeah, kill you. Yeah, I am gonna yeah, kill him. Yeah. Well, you'd been anointed at that point. I, mean, <laughs> I I knew I knew who was gonna pick it up and carry it. But you know, and, and to put it in perspective, it doesn't sound like much now, given where we are today. But when when Ruth Governor Minner, when Ruth Ann did what she did. It made a world of difference. So it really did. I think it gave a lot of people, um, not just legislators, but you know, but cabinet secretaries. Lisa Blunt Rochester was one of the first of anybody to come out as a as a member of an administration with Governor Minner's permission. I think before right. before the governor had come out herself, but with the governor's <coughs> permission, she testified as the Secretary of Labor. Again, the, those, the, the labor folks were with us, and, and she saw it as a, as a critical employment issue for people. Uh, you know, people's livelihoods were at stake. And she walked up to that microphone, and you know she took a lot of flack for that. I have, I have an enormous amount of admiration for her. That was not a time when that was an easy thing for an administration to do. Uh, and she did a great job, and I think Governor Minner deserves a tremendous amount of credit for being ahead of her time uh, and, and quite brave her, her about being— coming out in support of the bill right? gave a lot of other people— the courage what, to do it yeah. as well. Absolutely. Yeah. And it was a nice counterpart, yeah. honestly, and a counterbalance to some of her her peers and very close friends who were bitterly opposed to that bill. And for her to say, even among my friends and my peers, there's a difference of opinion here. It's kind of, a, to your point, it's okay for, for others to have differing opinions about this. We don't have to be a monolith. Right. Uh, about how we're going to deal with this this issue, she she deserves a huge amount of credit. Do any of you do you remember the night it passed? Motion passes. The bill is before us, Senate Bill Number One Twenty One. Representative Schwartz, call. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Senate Bill One Twenty One is an act to amend Title Six, Nine, Eighteen, Nineteen, Twenty Five, and Twenty Nine of the Delaware Code relating to discrimination in employment, public works contract, and housing, equal accommodations in the insurance business. The act. Adds the term sexual orientation to the already existing list of pro prohibited practices of discrimination. As, this, as such, this act would forbid discrimination against a person on the basis of sexual orientation in housing, employment, public works contract, public accommodations, and insurance. Representative Dan Short. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Uh, you know, I find this pretty inconvenient to have such a very important bill for the citizens of this state and the folks that have debated this bill on several occasions before us today. I think we're in a sad day in politics in this state when we rush to judgment on things such as uh, casinos and sports betting and, and pushing those bills forward. And uh, now we're on an issue that's uh, emotionally disturbing to folks, that has moral value, has religious value, connotations, and even on the pro side of this issue has a, has a, has a vested interest in those folks as to what they feel about in a non-discriminatory manner. With all due respect to my minority whip, sir, I, I fail to accept that 
there's been a rush to judgment on this bill. This bill's been around uh, this House for over a decade. I, I can't think of another piece of legislation that's been more thoroughly vetted uh, on, on both sides of this issue. Uh, so I, I would respectfully disagree with his opinion. I think that every member of this House understands completely what this bill does, and perhaps more importantly, what it doesn't do. And uh, I'm not... Uh, I'm not troubled whatsoever about the process that's taking place tonight. I've waited for over 10 years to see this happen. Uh, there are a lot of other people in this chamber that have waited uh, that period of time as well. So I think we just ought to get move forward, sir, and get this done. Backstage story here. Senate's listening are doing the bill. We're in caucus at one point, and I told everybody, don't go anywhere. We're done. We were done. Mm -hmm. And I told her, don't go anywhere, because if it gets out of the Senate, we're running the bill. Moment in time. I said, we're running the bill, so don't disappear. I think we finally got them to run the bill. If they pass it, we're running it. So we hung around for a couple hours. Uh, one of the senators over there was, that's the night Brandy was here, and heard him speak, and she said, oh my gosh, how can people say that? And he tried to do all those amendments. So when it passed and it came over, the first thing I was told was, Danny's going to try to run the same amendments that they tried to run in the Senate. So we were on the floor when I found out about the amendments. And I, I just turned around and I said, huddle up, huddle up, get over here. So everybody came around and I said, do you guys trust me? And they went, yeah. I said, then shut your mouth. Just shut your mouth. We have the votes to kill the amendments. Don't argue with anybody. And I, and I told him, and I said, and that, I won't name him, but I said, one of my caucus members who just loves to stand up and, and talk and who loves to fight. And I told him, I said, and that, mean, that includes you. Shut your mouth. I don't care whether they call me or your mother. Names, I don't care. We're not going to engage in the discussion. I said, we have the votes. Let them introduce the bill. We'll run them down. So the first, the first amendment came in, and it was a, a violent, not a violent, but a, a nasty one. And uh, it, uh, Representative Short introduced it. And said what I did. He said, I'll take any questions. I just stood here. Representative Dan Short, House Amendment number one, sir. Yes, thank you, Mr. Speaker. Uh, House Amendment one is a, a pretty cut and dry amendment, sir. In the synopsis, it so states that this bill does not authorize sexual orientation related curriculum in our public schools. I think it's a very straightforward uh, amendment, and uh, some folks in the community have concern with that, and therefore we've offered this amendment. We so, sir. Uh, I think I'd prefer a roll call, sir, please. No question. And nobody's, and I'm, I'm sitting there saying, please don't say anything, please don't say anything. And nobody said anything. And Gilligan wasn't in on that part of it. He was a speaker, and he wasn't in on that part. He looked at me, and he, <coughs> well, Representative Short, I don't think there's any questions. What, what do you want to do? He goes, well, let's have a voice vote. No, I think they went roll call. They went, let's do roll call. Mr. Speaker, the roll call reveals 13 yes, 26 no, one not voting, one absent. I've received insufficient votes. House Amendment Number 1, the Senate Bill 121 is defeated. Representative Dan Short. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. I have a, an amendment, sir. Please present your amendment. Went through, beat it. Next one came up. He said, I'll take any questions. Nobody said a word. Beat it. The third one came up. Nobody said a word. Beat it. The fourth one came up. I think I I I, uh, I said, Mr. Mr. Speaker, this thing's out of out of line or whatever. And Representative Schwartzkopf. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. I've been a little patient on these amendments, but uh, I can just see these things keep coming all night long. I would like for uh, a ruling on this amendment. I believe it's outside the scope of the title of the bill. It deals with DOMA or Defensive Marriage Act, and that's in Title 13, and this bill has nothing to do with Title 13. Representative Schwarzkopf, do you have an attorney, please? It's a, you know, broader than the title and everything. He said, I think so, too. Boom. And then the fifth one they, we killed. And then we went to the bill and stood up and said, very little, roll call. <laughs> and we, boom. And I, I tell you, I remember when, the, when, it, when Bob banged the gavel, I was sitting at my desk and it was like a huge, it was like somebody just stuck a pin in a balloon. All the energy just left my body. And I was like, and all I could think of was, I didn't realize how much pressure was on me to deliver this. And, and we were able to do it in, in a very short time when it came back over to the house. And I'm sitting there, and I remember sitting here like this, and all of a sudden, it, it was like the, the light got blocked out. 
over here, and remember Joe Booth, mm -hmm. big old boy. When he walked in front of you, blocked out the sunlight. I mean, he was just a good-natured big guy, but he was deadly against this bill. And he walked over, and he looked at me, and he put his hand out. He said, congratulations, Pete. He said, you did a really good job. I'm, I'm proud of you. And I, I will remember that to the day I die. Yeah. He was adamantly against this bill, but he was so magnanimous in defeat and, and came over and said that. But meanwhile, the, the, the gallery's going nuts. Have received the Constitution majority. Senate Bill 121 is declared past the House. The gallery was, was insane. It was yeah. insane. It was going nuts. I was sitting down and there I, with you on the floor. Oh my gosh, it was unbelievable. It was the whole room exploded. You know, strangely, I have very little recollection of that, and I don't know why. It's, you don't it's funny that because night? no, I do not remember it at all. You don't all. remember the, the, the oh the awkward silence when Danny's on to answer any questions. No, I mean I mean strategically that was the right way to handle yeah. it. I mean if I'd been majority leader, I would have done it the same way. But I, for some reason, I remember everything but that, and I have no idea why. I mean, well, you know, it's really funny. We were exhausted. I mean, when you were just saying that, Pete, I was remember the difference in the energy level between people sitting down on the floor mm -hmm. and the people in the gallery, we were exhausted, yeah. right? And I was, and I, was, I, I can remember, I remember sitting there afterward a little bit with my head in my hands and having somebody come up and say, like, aren't you happy? And, and I, I was, but I was all that same thing. Like, I felt like, oh. and everybody's cheering and, and, and like, which was amazing, and you could feel that flood of warmth. And at the same time, we were—I don't know about you, but I was just tired. I was, I was exhausted. <laughs> it was a long and, and time. I remember. Coming. I remember. Maybe you don't remember because you were tired. I, I remember sitting there like this, like I was in a in a trance, and just sitting there rolling it around in my head what we just did, and 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 the happiness that was I could hear behind me, but I couldn't join in the happiness because I was still on the floor and. And and I remember thinking, Jesus, God, how much pressure did I put yeah, on my shoulders? Yeah, you are right. I had this. The civil union was what I was thinking about, yeah. which I'm sorry I did miss. Uh, you know that vote, but, but no, I mean, I mean, it was maybe I was just worn out after you know yeah. over a decade. But and what you know, so funny about that with civil union, and then later the marriage bill was that you know people, so many people said to me, "Boy, you guys got that done so fast." Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Employment non-discrimination, yeah. then you got civil unions, then you got marriage, then you got, you, you were able to add gender identity. Like, that's amazing how fast y'all got that. And I went, yeah, overnight sensation, y'all. Like, it, yeah. it took a but, lifetime. Yeah, it, 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 it felt it was, like it was to, more, the to get the, for all, that for all those years. But in the right? midst of all that, when we passed the Equal Rights Bill, we knew who we could count on to vote for the rest that's of the exactly. and we had That's exactly. And we had a whole cadre of activists and allies and supporters yeah. who were already, like, all you had to do was this, and they were mobilized yeah. and ready to, to go. That th those relationships and that that community yeah. of allies and activists and voters. I've never and, seen anybody mobilized like you, you guys did for the marriage equality. I will tell you that. That was kind of amazing. It, it was amazing. It was pretty fun. I'm pretty really proud was. of Lisa. But, I'm know, pretty the, proud of Lisa Goodman and, and that team. They they yeah, did an amazing amazing did. job. And I was like, where the hell were you the first? I wasn't 10 there years? for that part. I, I, <laughs> I didn't I, get I to be saying, here for I that. Kept saying, where the hell were you the first ten years when we were trying to do equal rights? You know, but the organization you had at that. And it, but, you know, it, it's like everything else. It's, it's a norm until you break it. Had we tried to do marriage equality back first, we'd still be fighting. Oh, yeah. We'd still be doing it. But by going to equal rights and then to civil unions and then to, because with each one, we could say, hey, we've had civil unions for a year and a half and the earth hasn't stopped rotating and the sky hasn't fallen and my marriage didn't dissolve. So, you know, it was easier to, to tell, talk to people about, you know, why shouldn't people have the same well and you know and, and we and also trying to sort of figure out how to how to get people to understand not just the sort of like there was there was something instructive I think for for folks and, and did make them change some votes about the really ugly things that got done but I think it was sometimes bill when you and I would talk about sort of let's teach people about the ordinary things that are going to happen to folks and we did a whole thing early on about sort of I delivered your pizza last night and today I could get fired. <coughs> Because I'm gay, you know. I, you know, I'm your dry clean. I work in the dry cleaner, mm -hmm. you know. Or I, you know, I waited on your table last night, and tomorrow I could lose my job. And all of a sudden, that sort of made people think about, like, oh, this is these are just people's lives. It's just people's lives. They just need a job. 
the visibility for for LGBT people and the and the sort of bil- ability to kind of claim a place mm-hmm. in the world uh, with some safety is just such a huge part of what we of what we've accomplished here. I think there's and and I think a lot of it. We go back to that first you know that first time I testified here and came out. There weren't very, there weren't that many no. people out, right? No. And not certainly not in those spaces. And it was really a remarkable opportunity, <clears throat> I think, to sort of create create safety in our society, so that because everybody wants to contribute, right? How, how, think of what, what would we lose if we if we didn't have the contributions of everybody. You had asked me, Drew, earlier on. You know what what was kind of the motivation? And I've thought about this a lot. And, and maybe on some subconscious level, and I think I shared this story with Drew. I had an aunt who I just adored, and this was back in the 50s. And in fact, I'm a big believer in fate, and, and you know that some things are predestined, and maybe that was a result of this. But I would, darn near died, I choked on a uh, sour ball, and she actually saved my life. Um, later on, she ended up <clears throat> being... Um, sequestered at, um, well, Farnhurst, the home for the mentally ill. Mm-hmm. And I had no idea why. But later on um, in my adult years, I found out that she was homosexual. And back then, they considered that to be mental a mental illness. Yeah. And that's how she was treated during the 50s. And, and I think at some level, again, on the subconscious level, that, that has always formulated, I think, who I am and how I think about things. And she was just a wonderful human being. And it was just a very unfortunate circumstance. It's the way people were treated back in the 50s and, and early 60s. And it, you know, maybe it was trying to right that wrong uh, again at some some level for me. And, and you were, all, I have to say, you were, all, you were alone in some of this very early on. And I think you were very early to spot that unfairness and think there might be something to do about it. But you know, well, we're all we're all part of our life experiences, absolutely. and you know that's you know the but way we were raised to think. And, but not and everybody, and, but not everybody takes that life experience and does and does the hard thing. Well, right? that's why being in public office is a blessing. And I, 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 you know, sometimes I've seen people down here when I served that take it for granted, and you have an opportunity. And it is a blessing to be able to effectuate change in a very positive way. And what a, what a waste to come down here and just tread water. I mean, when you have an opportunity mm-hmm. to, to do good things and do good works. And that's one of my frustrations. I mean, I, you know, I see it today. I saw it when I was here. And it's just a very unfortunate circumstance because you only get one one opportunity down here, and you better make the best of it. So So one thing I think we forget in Delaware is that other places who did this, whether it was protection for gender identity, marriage, uh, civil unions, or non-discrimination statutes, in many, many places those things were not done by legislatures. Right? They were not done by legislatures. They were done, as we did the very earliest work, they were done by executive order, or they were, impo- or they were done by a court opinion, or, you know, a, or a popular vote, you know, some kind of a referendum action. We're one of the only places where all of that protection for the LGBT community was undertaken by a vote, by elected officials, in a representative body. And I think that is a remarkable testament to governor leadership from Governor Minner and Governor Markell, and from the leadership of these the two chambers that passed that, 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 that the work that was done was really hard. But over 10 years, we accomplished so much, and we did it in this sort of representative democracy, kind of messy, lots of education, lots of things going. But it happened, in, in for our state, it happened this way. And, and I think it's so important. Look at the result, and look at what's going on in our world today, and how some of these things are starting to roll back. When they, when they go ahead, and if they take away the Supreme Court protection, and they say it's back to the states. You guys are protected in our state that's because exactly we have done right. statutes. Because we've done everything. Right. We have a statute. That's right. Wade. If they do something with Roe v. Wade, we have protected our women in our state by statute. And that's so important. The point you just made is so so important 
about how we did it and what, you know and, and the protection we we have granted. And I think there and I think there's a tremendous. I mean, I'm I'm a lawyer. I have enormous respect for the courts. I think the courts have a, a, a huge have had a huge role to play in in leveling the playing field for for people all over on a multitude of issues. But I do think there's something really remarkable about an elected body like this one standing up and and in such. This is not an easy place to get stuff passed, no. right? And we just talked all we just talked at length about sort of how hard it was and how personal it got sometimes and all that's sometimes why legislators don't do things because they're hard and you know and for 10 ye plus years it's been done but for 10 years before that you know we had leaders like the two of you and many others patty blevins still Dave Sacola. I mean, I hesitate to even name names because there's so many yeah. remarkable leaders. Who Margaret Rose Henry, who, who just were dauntless in their willingness to fight internally, to sort of to stand up for what they believed in, and to do it under sometimes very difficult circumstances. Whip Count is brought to you by the Delaware House Democratic Caucus. Follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash dehousedems, on Twitter at dehousedems, and on Instagram also at dehousedems. More episodes are coming, so make sure you're subscribed. 